Hello and welcome to Sacred Heart Radio. I'm Father Michael Delcom, pastor of our community, and I'm grateful you've joined us today. Before we dive into today's message, I want to thank you for your support. At Sacred Heart, we're super excited about our mission to encounter Jesus and become missionary disciples. None of this would be possible without the incredible generosity and dedication of our supporters like yourself. Whether it's through prayer, time, or financial contributions, you allowed us to carry out our mission and touch the lives of countless individuals. If our ministry has helped you along the way, either with this podcast or with our online streaming, please consider financially partnering with us if you're not doing so already. We want to continue our virtual presence in an ever-challenging world, and your support allows us to do that. You can visit shbrusard.org and click the Give button. There you can find ways to support and partner with us on our mission. Another way to support us in our mission is just to share this content with others. Again, on behalf of our team, thank you for listening today. Let's get to today's content as we grow together. Good morning. So we as a church, with the start of Advent, we begin our Advent preaching series. And Father Mike and myself have decided that for this year's Advent preaching series, we're going to focus on a particular individual, that of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, you know, some people may ask, okay, why focus on Mary? Why, why do an entire preaching series, you know? Um, what's all, and some people may even ask, like, what's all this hoopla about Mary, you Catholics and all that? But Mary is important. She plays an important role. And one of the beautiful things about Mary is no matter how much focus we give on her, she always takes that focus and redirects it towards her son. Um, St. Louis de Montfort said, you can never love Mary too much, for she takes that love and she brings it to her son as a gift. So we're going to talk about Mary over the next few weeks, but before we talk about who, what, how, like how is she part of this, what does she do, what is her relationship with us, we have to ask a more fundamental question, the question of why. Why in salvation history do we need someone like the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, it's because there's a problem. That problem is called the fall. That problem we read is manifested in Isaiah 64, 6, our first reading. Behold, you are angry and we are sinful. All of us have become like unclean people. There's a mark upon us. There's something that it's been with us since our birth, and it's called original sin. But where did this come from, this mark? Well, it came from our family. It came from our first parents. So I don't know if you've ever had this where, like, you've been associated with a family member that's maybe less than desirable, a black sheep of the family, a cousin, an uncle, that someone assumes because of their actions, maybe negative, that somehow you partake in that. Well, for us, it's kind of a reality. Because of the fall of our first parents from original grace, because of their, sin, their first sin, we have that mark of original sin that has been passed down from generation to generation upon each of us. This is the price of Adam and Eve's disobedience that has been passed from generation to generation. And as we read in the Catechism in paragraph 399, it says, Scripture portrays the tragic consequences of this first disobedience. Adam and Eve immediately lose the grace of original holiness. They become afraid of God. Think about this. Right before they sinned, 
What was it like in the garden? They walked with God in the morning. They talked with Him. They conversed with Him. They knew the fullness of God's love for them. But yet, as soon as sin enters the picture, what do they do? But they back away from God. They separate themselves. They become afraid, because that's what sin does. It separates us from God. In paragraph 402 of the Catechism, it states, all men are implicated in Adam's sin. As St. Paul affirms, by one man's disobedience, many, that is all men, were made sinners. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sin. Now, it's tragic. It's a tragedy. It really is. It's a terrible thing this fall, but there's something we have to remember. God has a plan. God had a plan to remedy this situation. In our first reading from Mass in Isaiah 64, 7, we hear, we are all the work of your hands. Think about this. God has crafted each of us. He crafted our first parents, Adam and Eve. He set them apart from all creation by making them in his image and likeness. Any craftsman or artisan or artist who works with something and they put a lot of time and effort into it, do they simply abandon the project when something happens to it and something doesn't go right, something gets broken, a crack, a fissure? No, they don't abandon their work. What do they do? But they try to salvage it. They try to make it better than it was before quite often. And that's what God did with us, humanity. He had a plan. In paragraph 410 of the Catechism, we read, after his fall, man was not abandoned by God. On the contrary, God calls him and in a mysterious way heralds the coming victory over evil and his restoration from his fall. This passage in Genesis is called the Proto-Evangelium. It means the first gospel. And it is the first time that the good news that God will redeem his people is shown in Scripture in the third chapter, 15 verse of the, of the Bible. God says, I have a plan. And what is this plan? It's the first announcement of the Messiah, of a redeemer, of a battle between the serpent and the woman. That term, the woman, is very important, and we're going to break that open because that's a very important term. That's not simply an individual woman. No, that is a honorific. That's a title, the woman, and of the final victory of a descendant of the woman. So in Genesis 3.15, we read, and this is God speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head and you will strike at their heel. This is the first message of the gospel that Christ would come into the world to overcome this ancient serpent, the devil. But he will come in a particular way. He will come via the woman. So in paragraph 411, we read of the catechism, the Christian tradition sees in this passage an announcement of the new Adam, that's Christ who because he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, makes amends super abundantly for the disobedience of Adam. Furthermore, many fathers of the church and doctors of the church have seen the woman announced in this first gospel as that of Mary, the mother of Christ, the new Eve. 
And it's kind of funny because in our first reading, we also heard, we are the work of your hands. Yet what is the first words we hear from Mary in sacred scripture? I am the handmaid of the Lord. There's kind of a double play in English with that handmaid. We talk about things that are precious, that are made special, they're, they're handmade. And Mary was particularly handmade by the Lord for her role in salvation history. She's not just some random woman, she is the woman who was prepared from the beginning of time for this role. She's also a handmaid in that she is one who serves the Lord, who serves in the Father's mission, who has a relationship with God the Father as the, our first parents should have had. So let's see if she's called this new Eve because what God is doing, he's reversing what had happened in the garden. That's his plan. He's going to reverse it. He's going to have individuals who are going to do the opposite to be a remedy for the venom that was received in the garden, the venom of sin, an anti-venom shall be given. And it's with Christ, the new Adam, who redeems humanity. Where Adam failed, Christ raises us up. And the same thing for, Eve, for Mary. So let us look. Is she this new Eve? Let's compare her to Eve. Let's see what is the same and what is different. They're both virgins. They're both virgins. Think about it. Mary is a virgin. Eve is a virgin. She had not had relationship with Adam yet. She had not had children. But yet they are very different in many ways. Eve said no to God's plan. She said no to his commandments. But yet Mary, in a reversal of Eve, says yes to God's plan, yes to the commandments. Eve's faith failed when the trial and temptation came. Mary's faith stood firm. Eve's action bound her children in slavery for generations under original sin, under a debt that they could never pay back. Mary, in her action, frees her children. She unbinds them. Eve, by her action, brought death into the world. Mary, by her action, and yes, brought life itself into the world by her womb. And yet, the final comparison is both of them stand at the foot of a tree, at the pivotal moment. They stand at the foot of a tree. For those of you who have gone through freedom, you may remember the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Eve stands at the foot of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and she reaps the fruit of that tree. But Mary, she stands at the foot of that tree that is the cross, and she reaps the, the fruit of eternal life, of abundance, of blessing, of relationship with God, of a restored relationship of man and God. God had a plan, and his plan involved the woman, Mary. God's plan to redeem and restore holiness, Satan says, just as the human race was subject to death by a virgin, it was freed by a virgin. With the virginal disobedience, balanced by a virginal obedience. Again, we're seeing this great reversal of what happened in the first chapters of Genesis. The Father of mercies willed that the incarnation should be preceded by assent on the part of the predestined mother, so that just as a woman had a share in the coming of death, so also should a woman contribute to the coming of life. 
That's from Lumen Gentium, which is one of the Vatican II documents. That's from 60 years ago. This is not a new idea for us. This is something that is in our DNA as Catholics to understand that Mary plays a pivotal role. In fact, she is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. She's prefigured in the Old Testament. We see that in the holy women of Scripture. How many times in the Old Testament did we hear of a woman have a miraculous birth in old age? That's preparing us for this more miraculous virginal birth. How often did we hear that a woman played a pivotal role in the salvation of the nation of Israel? It's preparing us for to understand that Mary has this pivotal role in the salvation of all men. In Isaiah 7:14, we see Mary prophesied, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, the woman, shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call him Emmanuel. God is with us. As we sang that beautiful hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're saying, O come, O come, God who dwells with us, God who dwells amongst men. In Micah 5, 1 to 5, we hear, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. Therefore the Lord will give them up until the time when the woman who is to give birth has given birth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the children of Israel. In Aramaic, this woman who is to give birth, it means virgin. It's the same thing. It's the woman. God is restoring what was lost in the garden. He's restoring the relationship between God and man, man and creation, man and woman. In Jeremiah 31, 22, we read, How long will you continue to hesitate, rebellious daughter? He's talking about us. The Lord has created a new thing upon the earth. Woman returns to man. There was Adam and Eve, our first parents. They were the prefigurement, the type, the shadow, the foreshadowing of this new Adam and this new Eve, Christ and Mary. He's restoring what was lost in the garden. And God's plan is revealed in the New Testament. Here's the thing. Mary participates in God's plan by carrying our Lord, delivering Him, raising Him, being the mother of Christ. But her role does not end there. Many of our Protestant brothers and sisters says, oh, yeah, 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 she had a special place, you know, but once Jesus left the house, she was done. No. What do we see in Scripture? We see, remember in Genesis 3.15, the woman and the serpent. There will be enmity. There will be battle between you two. In Revelation 12, 1 to 6, we read, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and her head, a crown of 12 stars. Then the ancient serpent stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child when she gave birth. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her descendant and yours. We're seeing in Revelation, we see creation come back to God in prophetic imagery. This is what God intended, the plan of salvation, all of humanity coming back to God, all of creation. And we see a woman play an important role. This is written in the year about the year 90, about 60 years after Christ, this image of Mary in sacred scripture. 
We also see in John 19:26, Mary is given as mother of the church. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. When he is speaking to the beloved disciple, he's not just speaking to the beloved disciple, he's speaking to each and every one of us who are children of the church. That's why we call ourselves children of Mary. For by her action, we have come into new life. By her carrying our Lord, by her playing that pivotal linchpin role in salvation history, because without her, Christ could not have flesh to come. He wanted it to be received. He wanted to be received in love, and thus he predestined Mary from the beginning of time for this role. And we're going to talk about that more later next week when we talk about the Immaculate Conception, but not only that, but she also is present at the birth of the church to be its mother. Mary, in Acts 1.14, we read, in the upper room, all these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. These are all the disciples after the resurrection, together with some women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's there for the birth of the church to nurture and guide it as a mother is there to nurture and guide her child. And many may be saying, but Father, man, all this talk about Mary, all this talk about Mary, how does this help us get closer to Jesus? Well, anytime we highlight a reality about Mary, what we're really doing is highlighting a reality about Christ. In paragraph 487 of the Catechism, we read, what the, what the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines, in turn, its faith in Christ. Mary does not have a light of her own. She is like a mirror who reflects the light of Christ to those who look upon this mirror. So thus, her glory is not her own. It belongs to her son. She reflects it as a mirror reflects a beam of light. And to give an example of how Mary illumines a reality about Christ, we call her the mother of God in Greek, Theotokos, God-bearer. This comes from an ancient council of the church in the early 300s, where there was a heresy that was going around that denied that Christ came in the flesh, that he merely appeared to be in the flesh. But here's the thing. If Christ was appearing to be in the flesh but not in the flesh, what good was that sacrifice then upon the cross if he only appeared to sacrifice himself, if he only appeared to die in the flesh? What good is that? No, and thus to highlight that Christ truly had a human nature, what did they do but highlight the reality that he was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary? And thus by giving her this honor, this title of the God-bearer, the one who bore God in her womb, we highlight the truth that Christ was in the flesh, that he was fully God and fully man in one person. And as we're talking about this, I hope that you're beginning to see that Mary is clearly part of God's plan. She was not an accident. She was intended. There was an intentionality about her, about her formation, about where she was, the time, the place, everything about her, so she could be ready to bring our Lord into the world, which we celebrate at Christmastide. Mary is clearly part of the plan, but how? Learning the why this week will help us understand the how she is part of that plan even more next week.